0: Welcome to 21. I'm Drew Lasker. I'm a family man, professional athlete, and business owner of Train Harder 21 and 21 Media. Yvonne Harris and I have teamed up and created this podcast to explore the life lessons that come along with being an athlete. Why 21? It's my jersey number and a key part to my great fortune and career. So it seems fitting for this podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Yvonne Harris. I'm a proud boy mom and an advocate for efforts that improve the lives of women and children. Experiencing success as an athlete or in any facet of life does not happen by accident. There must be clarity, intention, and the willingness to pivot. Our guests on 21 share their journeys in ways that cause you to reflect, assess, and then take action. We are so thankful for the stories shared on this podcast because Drew and I know, Their wisdom shortens someone else's path to success. Enjoy this episode of 21.
0: Welcome to another episode of 21, the start of a new year, an opportunity to hit that reset button, an opportunity to set new goals and challenges for yourself. In that process, it's important that you are inspired. And today's guest, is a former CEO of EY Management Consulting, creator and producer of a hit TV and radio shows, the number one Amazon best-selling author in spirituality. He's the founder of Messenger S Institute, described by many as a renaissance man. Today, we welcome on the show, Jonathan J.D. Messenger. Jonathan, welcome to 21.
2: Hey, thanks. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me, Drew and Yvonne.
1: We're so glad you're here, J.D. This is going to be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, we're
0: going to have fun. We're
1: a lot, have lot of people fun. are going to be so thankful to hear from you. So it's our honor to have you here.
0: I concur. But before we get started and dive into your story, we're going to break the ice with a little game we like to call 21 questions with 21. So we're going to put you right into the hot seat speed round in which Yvonne and I are just going to fire some questions at you. All right, diving right in. <clears throat>
2: In and out. What a burger, no choice.
1: Nike or Adidas?
0: Oh, Nike. Beer or tequila? Oh, tequila. Can't take beer.
1: Beach or mountains?
0: Beach. Tupac
2: or Biggie? I don't know what either one of those are.
1: <laughs> Jordan or LeBron?
2: Man, that's a tough one.
0: Oh, come on, LeBron. LeBron. Come on now, JD. (laughs) (laughs) Texans or Cowboys? Cowboys, America's team.
1: False. Popeyes or Chick-fil-A?
0: Tough
2: one. (laughs) Gonna have to go with the healthier instead of the spice Chick-fil-A.
0: Las Vegas or Miami? (laughs) Definitely Las Vegas.
1: (laughs) IHOP or Waffle House?
0: IHOP. East Coast or West Coast? West Coast.
1: Early bird or night owl?
2: Oh, night owl. Yeah, that's easy.
0: Grilled, fried. I'll go with grilled.
1: Car or truck?
0: Car. More efficient. Bluebell or haagen
2: Before their incident, I would have said Bluebell, so I'm going to go with haagen
1: Coke or Pepsi?
2: Oh boy, that's a dangerous one. Coke. That's Summer. fighting words. Mm-hmm. Summer or winter? Summer.
1: Xbox or PlayStation?
2: Good one. Let me see. Fortnite or Mario? I'm gonna go with the Xbox.
0: Let's see how domesticated you are. Dishes Uh-oh. or laundry?
1: <laughs> Dishes. City or country?
2: Country.
0: And finally, J.D., when you get an opportunity from your busy schedule to unwind, are you more of a house party guy or a clubber?
2: Neither. Yeah.
0: What do you like to do in your
2: own uh, I'm a walk, a sit, sit in the trees or in the lake guy. Watch just outdoors. I like that.
1: That wasn't too bad, was it?
2: No, no, it wasn't. But it's interesting how... And we're going to probably come up to this, but every one of those questions, whether it was just for fun or not, has a thought and a belief associated with it, which comes from a construct, which is an invisible, amorphous thing. And they all have labels. And, of course, you know, that we're, we're going to talk more. But as you as you ask these questions, of course, they're evoking You know, like, geez, do I, did I want to have the grilled fish or the spicy chicken? Man, that's, you know, that's what comes to mind. Or do I want (laughs) to, you know, my two friends, one who was with Coke and one who was with Pepsi and they're arch enemies, you know? I mean, so anyway, we're going to get into this, I'm sure.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know this is going to be such a powerful session. Drew, do you want to start us off?
0: Yeah, let's go. I see. I see. You're already warming us up, JD. So for our listeners mm-hmm. out there, you better sit down and buckle up. But before we really dive in, JD, just paint a little picture for our listeners and just tell us a little bit about where you grew up. Oh, I grew
2: up in uh, Huntington, Long Island, and uh, my house was right by the beach and the ocean. And I'd hear the foghorn from the lighthouse and the seagulls squawking and the halyards clacking. And that's like music to my ears.
0: And growing up, did you play any sports? If so, what sports did you participate in?
2: I could harass you about sports, but uh, I, well, I put you on the hot seat sports. You know, what the hell are sports? You know, what a waste <laughs> of time. <laughs> yeah. No, I, um, when I was young, I played hockey And uh, I, uh, you know, I'm small, I'm short, got bullied. Biggest fight I ever got in was, you know, with the gloves on. (laughs) I came home missing a few teeth and my face all puffed up. My uh, brothers were like, well, what's the other guy look like, you know? But uh, I wasn't good enough skating hockey, even though, so I was the goalie. But after that, I got into fencing. And it's funny because I got into fencing because... I wasn't strong enough or like muscular into weights to to do wrestling. And I tried out for the football team and I ran harder and faster than anyone else. Uh, You know, I didn't pass, but I had such spirit that the coach made me the water boy. And, you know, I went on to be a a state champion and national champion in fencing and boxing and uh, uh, president of the varsity club. And for four years and from ninth grade, which I, I was elected president of my team sports and the clubs when I was a, a freshman, which I always thought was quite interesting. But I really laughed a lot about being the water boy on the football team because here I was a champion and an athlete, But I stayed and I loved being the water boy on the football team. And, uh, you know. Because it's not about the position, right? Those are my, my sports. So I carried on doing that through college, fencing and boxing.
0: Right. Just listening to you kind of talk back about your past, there are some life lessons that I can take away from your experience in sports. For you in particular, what life skills do you believe sports equips you with?
2: Well, you know, at a superficial level, we're learning discipline and focus and um, but more importantly, we're learning about the team and whether you're, it's an individual sport as fencing and boxing where you're still a part of a team. And so, you know, I think the greater lessons you're learning are about having someone else's back. You know, whether you're a Navy SEAL, an Army Ranger, a fencer, a boxer, or even basketball player, it's not about you. Uh, You know, uh, you can have a bunch of great individual athletes who are arrogant and self-centered and we all know what happens to the teams. You know, they lose. And, uh, you know, so the greatest lesson is learning to be a part of something bigger than yourself and the camaraderie and the spirit and uh, learning to, you know, be there to have someone else's back.
0: When I was a, a junior in college, I went to college at Point Loma Nazarene University in San Diego. And my junior year, I worked at a Navy base. So I worked at a little corner shop there and it was military only. But that was my first introduction to guys who were living six months at a time on submarines, which I found really interesting and fascinating. So tell us just a little bit about your time for the U.S. Naval Academy and, and your service as a nuclear submarine officer.
2: You know, I think there's got to be a couple of screw looses in my loose in my head for, you know, anybody who wants to be a submarine officer. It is an incredibly austere life. And, uh, you know, you're underwater for months or whatever, and you're you're you come up white because your your skin has no sun. And I, I remember one time on the submarine, we were trailing a Russian submarine in the eighties. And if they, you know, our mission was, if they tried to launch their missiles, our mission was to shoot them, sink them. And, um, our oxygen generator broke. And so, you know, we make our own water from the seawater and from the purified water H2O, we make our own oxygen. And so the oxygen machine broke. And I remember, uh, the guy trying to light a cigarette and he would light the match and it would go, I mean, there wasn't enough oxygen to keep a match lit. I'm like, what are we breathing? You know, but you know, that, that goes back to this whole idea of being a part of something bigger than yourself. You know, we were one of the three, one of the elements of the three nuclear triads and it's, it's not about yourself. It was never, It never has been in my life about how much money I was making, or it's always been in my DNA to be a part of something that you're serving that's bigger than you, whether it's, you know, community, team. And um, the thing that, that I liked about the nuclear force was it was the smartest group of people. And even though you have about 11 officers and 110 or 120 crewmen, you know, there's really, you know, there's no, there's no like hierarchy. I mean, there is a military hierarchy, of course. And, but, you know, the the lowliest seaman could sink a billion dollar ship and kill everybody. And uh, so there's just an incredible bond. And as in any military, you know, whether it's a SEAL, special ops, or ranger, or sports team, there's a lot of harassment that goes on. You know, there's a lot of teasing and and all that that really is about toughening you up so it's a it's a very interesting and you know very small community and i like to joke my classmates who are astronauts i don't we didn't have a window you know so don't don't complain to me about flying in space for seven days you know try it for four months and besides we didn't have a window so
1: (laughs) Well, it's interesting jd that you mentioned that element of teasing and toughening you up there's a thin line between toughening you up and bullying behavior which we're just seeing so much of now in our society yeah. did it ever cross that line in your experience or were there boundaries
2: no there's definitely there's some individuals who were disturbed individuals and some of them were even senior officers and, uh, you know, there's an interesting thing happening in the military right now is there's sort of the old school, which were pretty hard-nosed people that might have made people feel a lot of suffering or pain, thinking that that's tough and, and making you a stronger force. But then there's the other group that understands that there's no place to demean human potential and human spirit that there's the right way and the wrong way to do that. And so certainly there were people on both sides, but there's a transitioning happening in our military right now. In fact, in our country, right? Um, Where, you know, George Floyd, bless his soul, you know, really was a great awakening to help those who were blind or indifferent to really see. And I think, you know, that's why it was such a big event. And, you know, the horse is out of the barn, you know, so uh, anyway, not to get too far off tangent.
1: No, but it's an important part of your work. I know that Drew and I want to talk to you about that in a moment, but. It's also very important for our listeners um, to hear about your business leadership. I mean, you were um, after, I guess, you know, the Navy, the CEO of e in Southeast Asia. Talk to us about that leadership role and maybe some key career moves that people could learn from that positioned you to take on such a visible role.
2: Well, let me let me go back and say you know, I thought I was going to be in the Navy for life. And it, I think in my yearbook, it even says, you know, JD's going to stay in and be an admiral and retire. And And I was one of 37 distinguished classmates in my class. And I think 34 of them did become admirals. Uh, so it was in my DNA. But one night I was walking around the missile tubes, ballistic missiles, and I looked at them And I got really upset because I realized I could never push that button and destroy everyone and everything. And I started crying and I knew right then that I had to leave, you know, and so I left and I can still remember walking off the sub and crying and I joined Exxon and, and, uh, you know, I did a lot of jobs in Exxon. I liked it for a long time. I ended up being the national director of safety and, and national pricing leader and, national like business change leader and, and so forth. And again, the same thing happened was what I would call a moral philosophical belief rudder button was hit where I saw all things happening that was incongruent with what I believed as a leader. And um, and so I went in and, and uh, told the vice president, uh, you know, I ten with ten years there, promoted ten times, golden handcuffs, and uh, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, favored boy kind of thing. Gonna go far. Retires multimillionaire, and and I turned in my resignation to the vice president, and he said, "No, no, no, you can't resign." He said, um, "Why don't you go take a walk for an hour?" And uh, I did, and I came back, and and he was the individual who broke a commitment. And so he we said, well, how do you feel? And I said, I wasn't the one that needed to go for a walk. You were. And, uh, you know, I quit. And um, so then I joined Ernst & Young and uh, started leading the energy industry in the world's first SAP implementation with Phillips Petroleum, the world's first Oracle implementation with Phillips Petroleum, led the oil chemical utilities sector for Asia and then became the CEO. And so I wrote the world's uh, Ernst & Young merger integration methodology and outsourcing methodology because I I seem to have sort of like a natural gift or ability to write like books and teaching things. And, um, and so ended up leading the uh, merger, uh, ExxonMobil merger, and uh, some of the, the world's first global outsourcing. Well, why am I saying these things? I'm saying these things because they are all about following my heart and um, trusting your intuition and believing in yourself. And it doesn't really matter whatever it is that you're doing, um, you're always going to be tested. There is no growth without tension in the universe, there is no friction, there is no motion without friction. I'm talking physics. And so there's no growth in relationship without friction. There's no growth in your career without friction and tension. So there's always going to be polarity. And you have to decide at some point in your life when you're going to decide whether this is your life and you're going to follow your moral, you know, ethical, philosophical rudder, or you're going to let others take control of your life, in which case you're dead and you're doomed. And you know that's the biggest battle, and so that that leads you at some point to realize that you've got to discover what your intuition is and what it's telling you and how it makes you feel, so that you can use that as your moral compass uh, for whatever it is you're doing in life. And so you know, the Exxon leaving the Navy was an example of that story. Leaving Exxon was an example of that story. Um, writing these methodologies which there was no intention on my part to going back. It's never been about me. It was never about, oh, I want to lead the merger, or I want to lead the outsourcing. No, it was the love of knowledge and wisdom. I love to write these things, which later on comes back to the Messenger Institute, because I really, at my core, I love knowledge and wisdom. I love teaching, and I love growth. And nothing makes me happier at this point in my life, absolutely nothing, it's not about me. It's not about titles, it's not about making money. It's about teaching and helping other people grow. And uh, so, again, I might be a little bit off tangent, but my point is that, you know, that led me that that love of knowledge and wisdom, that love of wanting to help others, that faith and trusting what my own rudder was saying. You know, you learn some of those things and, and you will go up and up and up.
1: I've heard your story before, and um, every time I listen to you tell your story, number one, I get chills, and number two, I learn something new, or I have another moment of reflection. And um, I want to hone in on your experience at E.N.Y. because you really had a wake-up call while you were there that I think truly shifted you're leaning into your life purpose. Tell us about that moment.
2: We all at some point in our life, and it usually happens around the mid forties and we call it a midlife crisis, but it's far from a midlife crisis. It's an oversimplification um, where we have, I call um, the great hurdle, the big hurdle you have to jump. It shows up as a near death, a bankruptcy, a broken relationship, a divorce, a disease, and it's a wake-up call. And, um, you know, here I had reached at, you know, my early 40s, 41, 42, whatever the the pinnacle of what some people might call achievement. I'm, I'm a managing partner, I'm the CEO, I've got a $5 million house, and I've got servants, and fancy cars and drivers and expensive suits and Rolex gold or diamond studded watches and um the short exa- the short story is that I break my neck and as you know there's a longer story to that my neck had been injured in the navy and it had deteriorated and uh I ignored it and I was in pain and I just started popping more pain pills and um by December of 99, I was oblivious to the fact that I was like popping an entire bottle of pain pills in four days and that I had lost almost all the strength and motion in my left arm because my nerves were being crushed. And uh, so in the morning of January 18th, 2020, I got up to take a shower and I put my arms up in the air to stretch and when I popped my neck, that basically uh, was the last thing that was holding my head on my shoulders. <laughs> and uh, it basically twisted my spinal column around. And uh, it, it was like being electrified or some split in half with an axe or whatever. I mean, the pain was beyond description. And uh, I flew out of my body. And I was floating above my body like 10 feet. And looked down on it and it, you know, looked like a rag doll getting unplugged, you know, arms collapse that fell on the bureau and flopped onto the floor. And um, my wife came running up to try to help. And uh, I wasn't there. <laughs> I, I went through a tunnel, you know, it's like, like Ray in The Force Awakens or like going into warp speed and Star Trek or something like that. Except instead of being straight, it was twisty and turns and blue lights and sparkles and fireworks kind of stuff. And uh, I came out and I was like in space, you know, like black. And uh, there was a light and I went towards that light and it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It was uh, triangular shaped. And uh, uh, it as I got like opened like a doorway opening like that and I'll never forget it I can see this like it was yesterday and if anybody listens to these interviews I'm, over 20 years I'm pretty consistent <laughs> you know if you're lying you can't remember what you said but I'll never forget it and uh the, the first outer color was like a dark purple and it, and it's like it was like vibrant it was alive it was like throbbing. And it was blue and, you know, purple and blue and yellow. And I just kind of went in deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and that's it. That's the, that's the last thing I remember, which everyone always wants me to say something different. And uh, so I came back and uh, they did a double surgery, took me, they rushed my body to the hospital and they took bone out of my hip to put my neck together. So they, um, you know, I was on a morphine trip. I had a lot of tubes sticking in places (laughs) Trichia, uh, And uh, I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. After about 10 days, I go home and I've got a makeshift hospital bed. And my family comes into the room and tries to cheer me up. And my kids were three, six and nine at the time. And they go, uh, oh, geez, you know, dad, you remember the time we went to visit uh, Australia and saw the koala bears and all that. And I was like, I couldn't talk, you know, I'm, I'm immobilized. I'm, I'm, I got braces around me. I have no feeling down my nerves, no feeling in my face or cheeks because those nerves were cut up. And uh, I'm trying to say, no, I, I didn't go on that trip. I was busy doing a merger or something. Then the next day they come in and uh, they're talking about the trip to the Great Wall. Well, I didn't go on that trip either. I think I was doing the shell outsourcing project then. I I just want them to leave. Tears start, you know, rolling down my cheeks and all I can do is stare at the plaster ceiling and, uh, they go away and I holler a silent prayer to God. I'm very angry. Why did you do this to me? And my door, which was closed jiggles and my three-year-old son comes in and he goes, daddy, you work too hard. And then he leaves. And, uh, the next day, I say another angry thought, oh, I work too hard, God, you know, well, what am I supposed to do? Isn't this what I'm supposed to do? You know, and the door handle jiggles and my three-year-old son comes in in one minute. And he goes, Daddy, you need to play. And so the left brain nuclear engineer math major is like, wait a minute, what's going on here? I say silent prayer. My son comes in in one minute. Is God trying to answer my prayers through my son? Does is, is, is my son hear my thoughts or something? And so I calculate the probability. What's the chance of my son coming in the room in any any random one minute period? What's the chance that my son answers a question which he never heard? How many how many sayings does a three year old son have in base case, which I assumed was maybe a hundred? And uh, I basically calculated that the chances of that being an accident was one in a thousand. And so. Then I do it again. Oh, well, one in a thousand times one in a thousand. So one in a million. So now I'm getting a little curious. And so then I was like, okay, God. So now I start talking to God. I'm like, all right, God, maybe you're talking to me, my son. So I was like, okay, I work too hard. I'm supposed to play. Well, what does that mean? And jiggle, jiggle. One minute later door opens, Grant comes in, he's dancing around he can't say his R's. So he says W. So he's going, we remember, we remember. And I'm trying to say, you know, we remember what grant, you know, <laughs> remember what I'm going to tell you for five years after I learned how to walk and talk and chew gum again, which took about six months, I spent five years trying to remember what, well, the answer was remember who I am and remember where I came from and remember why we're here. And, um, so that's that's uh, the end of the wake-up call, I guess you might say.
1: You wrote a book, very powerful, 11 Days in May. And tell <clears throat> us about that, because that was like, was that like a second awakening for you, J.D.? Or was that a second moment where you were, I guess, starting to remember?
2: It's even deeper than that, because, um, so the book was written in the first 11 days of May in 2012 so that's why it's called 11 days in may because what it says is day one parable one day one parable two day one parable three was written in day one and what was in day two is what was written in day two so the book literally was written in 11 days in may and those were the parables and um it had been twelve years that I had been on my quest, um, contemplating my navel, searching for answers to who am I, where did I come from, why am I here? Doing the the television show on brain waves, the Global Evolution Radio Show, asking Nobel laureates in physics, is matter solid? Doctors, uh, Francis Collins at the Human Genome Institute, who's now the president or CEO of the National Institute of Health you know how could my oh well so your listeners don't know but my neck regenerated okay so there's there's no western medical explanation on why i am doing this with my head because my bone was solid bone infused and that those vertebrae regenerated which um put me on this other quest to understand how is that possible because that's supposed to be a miracle right a miracle what is a miracle is miracle is something we simply can't explain um so in the first 11 days in May I saw what I call the writing on the wall WOW uh, what your listeners don't know yet which you know and many others is that what happened after I recovered is I started to have a lot of strange and unusual metaphysical experiences that uh Uh, My kids call me Dr. Strange, hence the reason for my mustache and beard. Things that uh, defied uh, logic, um, having premonitions of events or uh, having vertebrae regenerate or seeing words in front of my eyes, uh, inventing things with ideas and visions or dreams with no mental awareness that I was doing it. And hence, that's where a lot of these things came from. Uh, They weren't my ideas. Uh, I was an instrument. And uh, yes, everyone always asked me, is Messenger your real name? Yes, Jonathan David Messenger is my birth name. Okay, so let's put that one to bed. So what happened in the first 11 days of May was, uh, it was late one night sitting out of my patio pool, And uh, the writing on the wall started and I saw words. And so I just went in and started writing and uh, I just wrote the words. I didn't think about them. It's like reading and, and doing translation or something. It was only around the seventh day when I realized that maybe I was writing a book. And when I was done after 11 days, my wife is like, what have you been doing? And I said, I think I wrote a book. And she said, well, what's it about? And I said, I don't know. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> and uh, the book needed no editing. I mean, a few grammar things, a few typos here or there, but 50 or 52,000 words, and there probably wasn't 100 words changed. And it went on. It was published. And, um, you know, it hit number one and it, it in, like, five categories. And then it won five um uh, four gold and one silver award. And uh, so then I, I read the book 18 times. And my wife would say, why do you keep reading it? I said, well, you know, I'm the author, I'm supposed to know what's in it. And the book asks 36 questions, and it answers 36 questions. So it's a parable format. It's a conversation between me and an unnamed person um, who makes things, uh, what is pain, what is suffering, what is death, what is an illusion, what is matter, what is time, uh, what are goosebumps, what is science, what is religion. Uh, so it's, it's sort of a very philosophical, spiritual, scientific, metaphysical kind of book. And um, the book, if it's in first person, present tense, because it's written as it's happening, And uh, uh, let me, after it was published 100,000 emails, I got a handwritten letter from the director of the FBI. I had Army Rangers, a general from West Point, uh, presidents and CEOs, heads of HR director, you know, all these people contacting me, telling me that they had these things happen to them. You know, they have what I like to call invisible superpowers, and our invisible superpowers is uh, the thing that we all have, their natural abilities and gifts. We sometimes call them uh, visions or intuitions or premonitions. But, you know, in part of my research, what I discovered was, you know, uh, Disney saw Epcot in a dream. Peter Max, famous painter watches his hand paint. A uh, famous uh, pianist has no idea, never took a lesson. He's just seeing the keys in his mind's eye. Einstein, Tesla, Nikolai Tesla invented the AC motor. He drew this, he had this vision in his head, drawing it for 10 years, not knowing what it was, you know, it took him 10 years to figure out that he had created the AC motor. So yeah, that was, so 11 days in May was my coming out party. And and because for 12 years, I never told anyone, anything that happened to me or any of the stories and, uh, so that was the beginning of the next uh, leg of the adventure.
0: <laughs> Incredible. JD, you shared with us this traumatic injury and experience that you went through. And then the transformation, not only physically, but mentally as well. For our listeners out there, they're probably asking the question, firstly, when did you feel the time was right to actually go back to work? And what, what kind of happened with your career during this time?
2: You know that's a very good question, and out of the hundreds of interviews I've done, no one's ever asked me that. So congratulations. I kept trying to go back to work, and I never could. I went back to a company that I had worked for, knew me very well, and they said, uh, yeah, "We we can't hire you. You're you're basically too big, too smart, and too expensive now." You know, and uh, I got asked to be the CEO and, you know, selected to be CEOs of maybe five or six companies. And every time I did, you know, uh, something would happen and it would never happen. I, uh, one, one company I was with, uh, you know, the the chairman of the board had announced me to the management team. I was there and, uh, and then a month goes by and I never hear anything. And all of a sudden they called me up one day and said, sorry, we can't hire you. I mean, so uh, despite everything I tried to do, <laughs> I couldn't, and, and I wasn't supposed to. So, you know, I became an entrepreneur out of necessity.
1: But you're more than that. I mean, there are a number of titles that are attributed to you, a spiritual executive, um, a guide, a mentor. But J.D., you're a teacher um, is what I think of when I think of
2: That's you. so. Thanks. Somebody asked me how should I describe you? And I said, just call me a teacher. Because to me, that's the highest calling there
1: is. So what was the next part of your adventure? And what are some of the greatest lessons um, that you've learned in life that you like to share with others?
2: So I'll make it short. Um, After the book came out, I started doing, doing a lot of speeches. And then people started to ask me to be a coach. And I resisted, resisted. I'll never forget. This one lady probably emailed me 50 times. And I finally said, look, if you won't leave me alone, I'm going to have to start charging you to talk to you. And she goes, that's what I want you to do. So then I started to become a coach, fell into it. Right. And so then I was asked to make speeches and I made some speeches in large events, uh, the global CFO conference, the Women's national leadership team and things like that. And And before you know it, then executives started coming to me. And um, I joke because about five years later, I was looking at all my client lists. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, I've looked at all my top clients and like out of a thousand clients, I said like 98% of them are entrepreneur CEOs. And she looked at me and she goes, you didn't know that. (laughs) And so here's one of the lessons, right? The point is just ride the universe ride the flow i say just say yes and choose the best when you say no you stop the flow if it feels light it's right okay don't do all of the psychoanalysis fact i mean sure you got to do some of that but the, the fact of the matter is that when you are riding the flow of the universe when you say yes and it feels light and you're doing something that's fun It just builds and gets bigger and bigger. And here, what do we do? We resist it. No, no, no. I don't want you to email me. No, no, no. I don't want to give you a speech, you know? And so you just say yes. And, and all of a sudden it's like this amazing sequence of events, which you never could have designed by yourself. So that's the, one of the biggest things, if it feels right, if it feels like it's right, just say, yes, choose the best. Don't say no and block the flow. Just say yes and analyze and choose the best. And so it's about letting go of fear. It's about a leap of faith. I guarantee you that if you want to become all you're meant to be, you will face the challenge of a leap of faith. You're going to be right on the edge of the cliff like Indiana Jones, and you're going to go, oh, God, I, you know, I, knew, I know I need to do this, and, and you're not going to do it. And I'm telling you, you just got to do it. You got to take that leap. And you've got to have faith and you'll be amazed at where you can go.
1: So do you think that we create our life or was it created for us and we just live it out? Or is it a mix of both?
2: It's a mix of both. Okay, I absolutely believe in every cell of my being that we are a soul and that we live many lives and that we are an eternal being and death is an illusion. And I do believe that we are each born with a purpose, a passion, a dream, and gifts. And that it it is our challenge to go on this journey, this quest to discover our true identity, our true passion, our true calling, and hence our destiny. But we have free will and uh, free will to do what we want to do. And so what happens in life is the... The uh, eternal battle between the mind and the soul, uh, between the head and the heart, that is the battle. And so the head says, you know, take the prestigious job, get the raise, make more money, buy a bigger house. You know, the head, the ego, it's all about me, my attachments, my uh, what other people think about me, my labels, my titles. And the heart is all about have fun, joy, love, the bond, cooking, singing, dancing, teams, sports, raising family, children, things like that. And so so when those two get into a fight, then, you know, the head's trying to go left, the heart's trying to go right, and you get torn in half and you be, become confused. And you know you're going the wrong way. Listen, folks, you know you're going the wrong way when you start to get angry, when you start to judge, when you start to label and you start to get nauseous and say, so you're going the wrong way. Your head and ego is atta- is in charge. And that could lead us to, you know, what that does in society. But um, this is the essence of the source of, of our greatest conflicts right now, the, the gigantic battle taking place, not just in this. Co- I mean, frankly, uh, Donald Trump is the perfect example of someone who was uh, abused and became a The the person that he became because he was unloved, unwanted, has felt his entire life unworthy and not respected. And so, you know, you you know what that person looks like.
0: I feel like this conversation with you is speaking directly to me in particular. So when you say no, you stop the flow. Right. And in the past year in particular, you know, there's been a lot of opportunities kind of come on my doorstep and all most of them have been just free they haven't been paid but I've pretty much said yes to everything and by doing that it's kind of led to a lot more opportunities and and I've kind of come up with this little quote that I've kind of been living by lately is opportunities create opportunities and you know just by me saying yes to a lot of number of different things you know it led to this podcast with Yvonne and it led to you know our media company that we're building so you know I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about just kind of going where the wind takes you that's kind of how I live my life Making sure I take advantage of every opportunity is there, because you never know what might come from it, and I look at it an opportunity as a, as a learning experience more so than, oh, is it paid? What is it going to do for me? Blage, blage. But how would you define mental toughness?
2: Well, let's talk about mindfulness for a minute. You know, mindfulness is being present in the moment. It is being aware of your own thoughts, being in control of your thoughts, being disciplined, so to speak. And so to me, when you say mental toughness, what that means is that I've done this inner work to examine my thoughts, to examine my reactions, to control my thoughts and emotions, and uh, not let them become you know these demons inside each of us because we're all wounded uh we're all wounded the alcoholics the abuse the drugs whatever it is every single person on this planet has been wounded and um uh, l- let me step back and give you the the little bit of the science So we've got 100 trillion cells in our body and every cell holds more information than the Library of Congress. This is the most powerful supercomputer in the world. It is processing 38 trillion operations a second. It's 10 million times faster than this MacBook Pro. Okay, so what's going on is these cells are carrying information through energy. That's what we are. Everything is energy and energy is everything. So a thought is nothing but an energy wave, and that energy wave is carrying information. It's just like this phone, right? Your phone is getting an electro signal. We call it the carrier signal, AT&T and Verizon, because it's carrying information. That information turns into a picture, an image, a song, right? You with me? So the same thing's going on in your body, So when you started that little game with me earlier, my supercomputer was translating those words into various images, tastes, and sounds, right? So when you say mental toughness, that means that I am disciplining myself to understand that if somebody calls me short or stupid or whitey or whatever they might call me, crazy, wacko, spiritual guy, My cells, my supercomputer is controlling my emotions because I know where that energy or thoughts are flowing. I mean, it's a little bit hard to explain in a couple of minutes. Do you you know where I'm going? You see where I'm going? Right. So, you see, it's not just your mind. It's in your body. So, you know... We're Because we're labeled by colors and races and sizes and all that, there's literally information stored in our cells, in our body. This is a, a PTSD. OK, it's why you see some people doing all the crazy things they're doing today why they react to what, what they did to George Floyd or, or what they're doing with Republicans and Democrats. There's literally programs of information stored in their cells and they are reacting like a robot without thinking. So mental toughness means that I have become the observer of my thoughts. And instead of reacting to a trigger, I am responding in a controlled manner.
1: You've mentioned um, George Floyd a couple of times, uh, JD. And I know that in this session, we talked a lot about the individual and the work of the individual, what happens to the individual. But on a macro level, What's happening in society? Is there an awakening that's taking place right now that really manifested in 2020?
2: I think it was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. And yeah, it's it, there's this huge evolution taking place in the world. And this evolution, it doesn't matter whether you're a person of color, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Chinese or Russian, you know, there's all of these constructs. Blacks are slaves, you know, Jewish are whatever, Chinese are whatever, you know, all that sort of stuff. Women can't be a priest. You know, there's thousands and thousands of these beliefs which are associated with the construct. Uh, A Republican, a Democrat, a liberal, those are constructs. They're not real things. It's a belief system just like a religion is a belief system or philosophy. It's not something real that you can touch, but because we believe it and we label it, then we label everyone else who's not in our box. So think of it, I'm sitting in a box and I'm a short box, smart box, mailbox, white box, Republican, Christian, whatever. And those are all the labels and that becomes my identity. Well, that's not true. None of those things are my identity. I am not my title, my job, my height, my color. You know, we all have ninety-nine point nine 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 percent the same DNA, and we're all breathing 98% same air, water, and minerals. And so separation is an illusion. I'm a part of you. You're a part of me. We're all part of everything. That's scientific fact. So what's happening is we've grown up with a generation, the millennial generation, the Gen Zers, and they're not drinking that Kool-Aid that my generation or past generations have believed. They are now awakened to a different original download. Their original download doesn't see anything wrong with somebody who's LGBT or somebody who's a person of color. And so now they're getting older and older And they're getting into positions of influence and power. And so now they're seeing these injustices, these terrible things like what happened to George Floyd, and they're not going to take it anymore. And so, you know, it's not just Black Lives Matter. I mean, if Martin Luther King were alive today, I think he would say this is another civil revolution. But it's not about just color. It's about equality for all people at the highest level. And so, you know, that's what we're seeing. And you know, it's a long, slow process. But when more of them gain more power and more wealth, uh, and when more of the older generation and older leaders die, you know, it's like it's like we're at a tipping point. And and so the change will start to accelerate faster and faster.
0: I one thousand percent agree with everything you just said, except you just said it so eloquently. And the information that you have given us today has just been so profound. And I mean, did you have any comments on that, Yvonne? Because I, I totally agree with everything you just said.
1: Well, I was just going to make a comment to you in that you actually had a moment like this when we were having our business huddle last week. And we we're talking about um, administrative tasks. And you said if you would just do the task, the opportunities would come. Do you remember that discussion? Yeah, so, yeah, You know, as I listened to JD talking about, you know, go with the flow, you know, follow the light and, um, you know, get in the flow of the universe. It actually came through in something that you shared last week about an administrative task that we need to do. And we did it. And now it's just like, okay, the opportunities are going to show up.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because JD, it's like, This conversation today kind of reminds me of, you know, sitting in church and you hear the preacher preaching about a particular topic and you feel like he's talking exactly directly to you. Uh, That's how you've made me feel today. So it's been so awesome having you on today. But if you can go back and speak to a younger J.D., what advice would you give yourself?
2: Well, I would say that and I think I already said this. It's really a summary of the most important things that I said, which took a lifetime to learn. And that is to trust your intuition, to follow your heart, not allow fear to dominate your thoughts. And I would have started studying the things about your mind and your invisible superpowers. I would recommend, hey, messenger, you know, don't wait for the disaster or accident to happen, which threw you on a tailspin. Go do that deep inner work now. Understand the power of your thoughts. Understand your mind. Understand labels and constructs and the power of affirmations. And, you know, all these things that we do, like meditation or breath work there's a reason why you're doing all those things. You're doing them to learn to gain control of your mind. You're doing them to activate your super sensory capabilities. So, yeah, I guess that's what I'd say.
1: What's next for you?
2: What's next for me is that, you know, I really don't have any personal ambitions. I don't I don't care to be the CEO of this or that. I don't care to make money. I don't care to be famous. I have no personal ambitions, but I do have a very driving, passionate ambition. And that is to try to create an army, millions of people to help them awaken, to realize that separation is an illusion that uh, we share a bond and that bond is more powerful than anything. Uh, that bond is cooking and dancing and playing sports. That bond is helping others in need or responding to a tragedy. You know, we share an innate human bond and that bond is the greatest force. And the power of that is greater than anything that divides. I want to help my country. I want to help the world. I I don't like seeing this going on. And um, yeah, so... So I call that the Phoenix Initiatives, and um, we're working on launching those Phoenix Initiatives and creating what we call the Phoenix Cafes, which are basically a support community around a bond like sports or airline personnel or veterans, and uh, the Phoenix Cafes is a community of people who rise up together.
1: So, JD, where can our listeners find you, your information, information about the Phoenix initiatives, your books? Where can we go?
2: So, you can go to the messengerinstitute.com and you can click on free. There's a free community that has thousands of people in it. And that free community has um, tips, a lot, like in and podcasts and, and videos and webinars and things like that. So that's the messengerinstitute.com. If you go to jdmessenger.com, you'll see a link to my books and uh, coaching or advisory, things like that. So those are the two best places.
1: And your recent project is Manifesto for Change?
2: Phoenix Initiatives or in the Phoenix Cafes. That's the, that's the project I'm working on. And you can learn a little bit more about that on the messengerinstitute.com.
1: Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question I've never asked you before. Okay. What's on your playlist?
2: My playlist? Like my music playlist? Your music playlist,
1: yeah. That playlist.
2: Actually, my playlist is I really want to get my YouTube channel going and have various channels because I love to talk. I love to interview. And I want to get my – I have this – I wrote a fictional book years ago. And uh, I love it. And I want to finish it the agent's been waiting for it for six months. And so, you know, that's really my love. So that's, I, I really want to get that done.
1: This was this great. Been, Thank you. This
0: has been great.
2: Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate I, I appreciate time. the opportunity to be here. Thanks for letting me share my
0: story and good luck to y'all. Thank you. Our pleasure. Okay. The founder of the messenger care. Institute, JD messenger.
1: Thanks to everyone for tuning in to the athletes. Keep being the best you can be run your race with excellence. To the parents of athletes, let's continue to support our children with patience, grace, and understanding, learning to recognize how to truly become the guides and the stewards that we are supposed to be. To everyone, be willing to share your experiences to help others along their paths and always be open to the wisdom that comes your way.
0: For more information about the 21 Podcast, 21 Media, and services provided by TrainHarder21, visit the website at drewlasker.com and follow us across all social media platforms. Remember to add this podcast to your playlist, subscribe, rate, and review. Until next episode of 21, Train Harder.